Time for our news briefing. Joining us in the studio is h a m i Sorang. Good morning to you. Good morning, Henry. We begin with a coronavirus update. So for the second day in a row, the, the number of new infections has surpassed the 50-case mark. What's the latest we have? Well, the KCDC, they confirmed 59 additional cases from Wednesday. Of these, 39 were local transmissions and 20 were imported cases. There were new deaths No new deaths. And the country's total caseload is currently 13,938. Now, as has been the case for the past few weeks, the biggest clusters that we're seeing, at least with local infections, setting aside the, the foreign arrivals, mm-hmm. seems to be centered in the greater metropolitan area, Seoul, Gyeonggi, as well as Gwangju. Uh, yeah. Could you walk us through the main ones? Sure. So for the Gangseo Central Daycare Center in Gangseo District, there were five new cases, putting the total cluster load there at 20. And Songpa District identified 16 cases in relation to Sarang Church so far. Now, this outbreak, the Songpa outbreak, comes just a day before the government's planned lifting of a ban on small church gatherings outside of Sunday services today at 6 p.m. That's when the lifting mm. will happen. For Gyeonggi-do province, four additional cases have been added to the military garrison cluster, bumping up the total there to 17. And as for Gwangju, two and six cases were added to a door-to-door sales group and a family cluster, respectively. The KCDC has also asked the public to make active use of the government's Anjon Shinmungo report program. The website there is safetyreport.go.kr to report any risk factors related to preventing transmission of COVID-19. So just going back to the early announcement by the government that uh, in order to maybe give a little bit of a boost to the domestic economy, mm-hmm. encourage spending, they have decided to uh, include a provisional holiday on August 17th mm-hmm. because of the fact that Liberation Day, August 15th, is uh, lying on a Saturday yeah. this year. So this gives a bit of a four-day weekend to a lot of workers if they choose to take that time off and you can either travel or, or spend. We're at that stage where we're at, right, 50, 60 uh, mm-hmm. new infections per day. If we recall the previous Golden Week holiday uh, during that Children's Day period mm-hmm. where uh, we were actually at a pretty good state where I believe cluster infection, uh, local and new transmissions and infections and foreign arrivals were totaling in the teens, maybe yeah. sometimes even going drifting down into the uh, single digits. Uh, and we saw the ensuing Itaewon club cluster infection yeah. that occurred, which uh, led to this outbreak that I, I believe that we are still in the aftermath of. Mm-hmm. Is there a risk you feel in terms of, even though the government says, if we ask all people to abide by these social distancing guidelines and we put the proper precautions in place, Mm -hmm. we shouldn't have another outbreak during the holiday period that we had during during the Golden Week. It it still is, um, it seems, contingent on people actually following through on a lot of these guidelines, which uh, human nature seems to imply that uh, not everyone can do that. Yeah, it's not perfect um, (laughs) quarantine or perfect uh, (laughs) prevention because even for the Songpa district, uh, the Sarang Church case, there are many guidelines out Uh, that the government has put out, that the KCDC has put out. But this cluster arose because they failed to abide by them. So I think in theory for this upcoming four-day holiday, in theory, the guidelines put out by the KCDC and NHI and so on, it should be enough. But realistically speaking, not everyone is going to follow them, which is the big factor. Right. And so it's almost a situation where we're bracing ourselves maybe... uh 
hoping for the best, but maybe also being ready for uh, what could be another uh, mini outbreak here. Mm -hmm. And hopefully uh, things are mitigated to some extent. Uh, Let's turn to the uh, political world, the National Assembly. uh, We've been uh, previewing this uh, attempt by the opposition, but they have ultimately rejected the impeachment motion for Justice Minister Chumye. That's right. So the National Assembly held a a full floor plenary session yesterday afternoon at 2 p.m. and voted on the impeachment of Chumye. Now, of the 300 lawmakers, 292 participated in the voting. Chumye did not attend. 109 lawmakers voted for impeachment, while 179 voted against. Four votes were invalid. Now, this motion would have required at least 151 votes or a single majority to Mm. pass. A group of 110 lawmakers led by the main opposition UFP had submitted the motion earlier this week on Monday, saying that Chumie had abused her power and violated the Prosecutor's Office Act. So they were uh, 42 votes short, if you look at the math here. And so uh, convincing 42 uh, lawmakers who support the ruling party side to to jump over and uh, approve this impeachment probably was not a, a realistic goal here by the UFP. Now, this does bring about, though, an interesting political calculation, because uh, on the one hand, from the ruling party's perspective, you can say this is just a spurious impeachment. This is just a Mm -hmm. a political game. It's it's something that we don't even have to address. Mm -hmm. And so uh, they could have just said, if we decide to not even cooperate with the proceedings, none of this could have gone forward. They instead decided to hold a full vote and put everybody on the record as to whether they support the impeachment or not. Uh, but ultimately, Misorang, the DP could have just simply boycotted the entire yeah. proceedings and uh, we would have not reached the quorum, right? Yeah. So the backstory is that before the plenary session, the DP held a general assembly of its own with floor leader Kim Tenyon encouraging the members to use their majority to reject the motion as opposed to boycotting it. According to DP spokesman Hong Jong-min, the party decided after this meeting to make a show of force by striking down the motion instead of avoiding a quorum. Hong said the DP decided to participate in the voting to follow the protocols in the National Assembly and also to show that it will use this majority in the standing committees and plenary sessions. So really a show of power yeah. there. Uh, Yesterday's vote was the first time in over two decades that the National Assembly voted on an impeachment motion against a high-ranking government official other than a president. The last time was in 1999 when a motion against then-Prosecutor General Kim Tae-jong was voted down. Right, so being the fact that this was such a rare occurrence that it hadn't occurred in over two decades implies that uh, usually these kind of events or uh, talk of impeaching uh, various cabinet officials are uh, just simply that. It's just political talk and Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily something that has enough uh, grounds, unless it's something so egregious that uh, the person might feel that uh, they have to be impeached, which we've the normal pattern we've seen in Korean politics is that the official will tend to resign before yeah. it ever even reaches that level. But again, interesting strategic choice because if they had decided to basically say, you guys can't even reach the quorum, so try to run your vote without our 180 <laughs> members, yeah. uh, that could have been effective, but it kind of perhaps subverts what the original goal of the ruling party as they won all those seats during the National Assembly was. The previous National Assembly was mired in this kind of conflict 
conflict and mm-hmm. the fact that it was not working hard enough for the people, people yeah. boycotting parliament and all these opposition lawmakers taking to the streets. So if they kind of went along the same lines of not letting them reach the quorum, it could have been perceived as, again, these guys are not really doing the job. But as you say, a show of force, kind of flexing their power and yeah. saying, you know, if we want something to happen, uh, we got 180 votes to do so. And it is demonstrated by that fact and maybe setting the precedent going forward with some of these other more contentious bills that uh, will be pending uh, for legislation. Let's turn to some corporate news here. Uh, This is a big one, and it does involve the livelihoods of a lot of people. So uh, South Korea's biggest low-cost carrier, which is Jeju Air, Mm -hmm. has decided to dramatically, in the 11th hour, decide to walk away from a planned acquisition of E-Star Jet. That's right. So Jeju Air released a statement yesterday announcing that it has decided to scrap the deal despite the government's intention to support it initially, saying that the decision was inevitable because of uncertainties amid the pandemic and the possible impacts on the shareholders' value. So this deal collapse, it comes seven months after the two airlines signed an MOU on a buyout deal last December. And in March of this year, the two reached a stock purchase agreement where Jeju Air would own 51% of shares of Easter Jet for 54.5 billion won. Hmm. So the question is, why now? Why 11th hour? Why suddenly walk away? Well, friction between the two airlines, it grew in recent weeks. And at the beginning of this month, Jeju Air, they actually sent an ultimatum to Easter Jet saying, hey, you guys have all this debt, 170 billion won. Pay it off before the acquisition by July 15th. That date has come and gone and Easter failed to meet the demand, saying, no, the debt payment was not part of the deal. That is your problem. And that's why the deal collapsed. So on the one hand for Jeju Air, attractive acquisition. You get their uh, fleet of airplanes. You have their existing consumer base. You have the routes that are already there so you can uh, expand your market share Mm -hmm. as a low-cost carrier. But on the the other hand, you don't want to be saddled with all of that debt. And E-Star's perspective is uh, we are opening ourselves up to uh, acquisition uh, for us to have the onus of repaying that debt that was not part of the original Mm -hmm. agreement. So that uh, friction, as you point out, uh, results in this uh, last-minute collapse of the deal. That being said, these aren't just uh, corporate entities uh, with with, uh, nothing but just balance sheets. Uh, There are actually real people involved here with Mm -hmm. real livelihoods. So what lies ahead then for the company E-Star Jet? Well, the transport ministry has called on E-Star to come up with a plan B, saying that the government will extend a helping hand. But analysts say E-Star will inevitably collapse unless another investor comes into the picture, which doesn't seem likely, mm. or it doesn't seem easy at least, because of allegations surrounding founder and DP lawmaker Yi Sang-jik, and also the continued gloomy outlook for the aviation industry overall amid the coronavirus pandemic. Now, as you mentioned, it's not just a balance sheet. Easter has 1,500 employees, 2,000 if you include partner farms, Mm. and they all face mass unemployment. So before we move further, let's listen to what Pagisam, head of Easter's pilot labor union, had to say. So what did he say? He was uh, basically saying, I haven't even been paid for uh, almost half a year. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's difficult in and of itself. But now I'm now facing the reality of I might be out of a job completely. Right. So Easter, they haven't been able to pay any of its employees since March. And some, including Pagisam here, haven't been paid for over six months. 
Now, the two lines, they will likely enter into a legal dispute over who's responsible for the deal's collapse. It's difficult to be laid off or, or lose a job in the best of times because, uh, you know, you don't know when your next uh, salary is going to come from. You have to put food on the table, but perhaps even more exacerbated because of the uh, pandemic and the, the economic uncertainty that faces all these different economies yeah. around the world, including Korea. And it probably is not a huge surprise that uh, low-cost carriers like E-Star were facing such problems because, quite frankly, where are we traveling right now, yeah. right? I mean, Except you, for Jeju. You, you can right, yeah. book, a, book a flight to Jeju, maybe book a flight to Busan or some of these mm-hmm. other outlying areas in the peninsula, but you're not going overseas. And there is um, a worldwide crisis now, whether it's uh, airlines and cruise ships and all these other kind of tourism and leisure uh, industries that have been facing the crunch. Uh, This probably isn't going to be the first casualty of this, Mm -hmm. but uh, it's a dilemma for the government because uh, we have seen in times past where uh, the government has been perhaps considering bailing out some of these companies or lending some kind of financial substances or even maybe outright uh, purchasing or buying stakes in these companies, propping them up and then selling them later when times are better on a private bidder. But uh, with the the fiscal sort of responsibilities that the government has right now, spending for other uh, more dire needs, I guess, can be calculated with the coronavirus relief funds and Mm -hmm. all of these other things. It's just um, government um, expenditures are a finite resource. And so it doesn't seem like uh, that's going to be forthcoming Mm -hmm. yet. Which brings us um, sort of to our next story, because there was a debate or maybe even outcry and demand among students that the government step in and actually um, be a part of the solution in terms of uh, spending some money or subsidizing this issue of universities, largely private universities who have been asked to uh, partially refund tuition Mm -hmm. to students who've been forced to uh, go almost on a completely online learning basis, saying that we paid for offline learning, face-to-face interactions with our professors and students and use of the facilities. That's not the case, so we need to get our money back. Uh, The government has been loath to get involved in that and saying this is a private university matter. A a lot of these uh, universities have indeed uh, refunded tuitions, maybe Mm -hmm. not to the extent that the students actually wanted. But now we're also seeing Uh, in the lower levels, uh, people in high school, uh, namely a lot of these private schools and even first-year high school students also demanding that their schools pony up the dough. That's right. So these demands, they're being mostly made via online petitions at the websites of, for example, Cheongwade and the Seoul City Education Office. For example, a first-year high school student uploaded a petition to the Seoul Education Office saying, quote, I haven't attended a single class since enrollment, but the school is already asking me to pay for the second semester. Tuition assistance or a full refund is needed. This petition is now closed but received 105 signatures. Hmm. And a similar petition asking for a full refund of Koil tuition on the Cheongwade website posted in April generated more buzz and it closed in early May with 10,949 signatures. So to this, some city and provincial education offices are expected to start that free education for first-year high school students from the second semester of this year, as opposed to the early plan, the original plan of first semester of next year. So this plan will include cities Sejong, Gwangju, Ulsan, Daejeon, as well as North Chungcheong and Gangwon provinces. Meanwhile, the Education Ministry is expected to announce its plans and dates for the second semester sometime next week before school lets out for the summer vacation. Yeah, and so the knee-jerk progressive reaction 
maybe or the stereotype maybe well, yeah, more government spending let's let's you know help these poor students out and give them some welfare benefits but it's not as cut and dry as it because what you're talking about with this sort of a universal free high school mm-hmm. uh, policy that's been um, proposed that will be fast-tracked and, and yeah. started earlier it, we're, we're talking about the associated fees that come with students that attend public uh, high schools and when we're doing it when when you tend when you attend a private high school or a private school uh, generally speaking you are Subject to paying the tuitions and fees that that private uh, entity is asking of you. And so when when you have, and I want to paint too broad a brush, but relatively privileged parents and students who are going to private schools and paying those excessive tuitions, uh, perhaps gaining a competitive advantage in the uh, competitive economic landscape here, and then asking for tuition refunds or even government assistance to help with those, it, it doesn't necessarily uh, engender the same empathy, I think, um, that uh, it, it might uh, if we're talking about poor students who have been struggling to, to get a good education or maybe even study all the way to get into a decent university and have some really legitimate, serious financial needs. Right. So if you have a look at the list, the number of different petitions there, uh, definitely the public sentiment is different for the private schools and those uh, yeah, private yeah, yeah. school students the first year high high school students because the number of signatures are just drastically different. Yeah, yeah. and so we do want to necessarily, uh, we have to delineate between uh, the two interest groups there for sure. All right, uh, we're going to turn to another scandal. Now, this, uh, it's amazing how fast time flies. It's been Mm -hmm. already two years since this uh, radon uh, mattress scandal uh, back in 2018. Now, we might have been uh, mistakenly thinking that this issue was resolved uh, because uh, no one's really reporting on it anymore, and we thought the government had stepped in and cracked down on the company itself. But the victims are saying that apart Apart from actually the the mattresses themselves being recalled, no other action has been taken. Yeah, that was their claim. So a solidary group for the victims and also a civic group called Asian Citizen Center for Environment and Health, they held a press conference in front of the Nuclear Safety and Security Commission in Tungno District yesterday, uh, saying that two years has passed, nothing has been done apart from a major recall. So the group is calling on the commission to at least conduct epidemiological studies and come up with a plan to assist the victims and address damages. One victim at the press conference claimed that he used a Tejin mattress for 10 years and that his child has now been diagnosed with pediatric cancer. He demanded the commission register his child as a victim of the radon mattress scandal and develop a future plan. So this goes back to the scandal in 2018 Mm. when seven models of Tejin's bed radon mattresses uh, emitted radiation up to 9.3 times above the national standard. And since then, the Nuclear Safety and Security Commission put out a recall for 220,000 mattresses, including those manufactured by other companies, including Sealy. And of course, 120,000 have been collected so far. Now, this is not resolved because victims and family members say reported manufacturers of the mattresses to the prosecution, but investigators, they decided not to indict them, saying that it's difficult to acknowledge that the mattresses were the only factor that caused victims to develop cancer. So that uh, finding Mm. was in earlier this year, and victims have since then filed an appeal against the decision. Right. So uh, after a lull in media coverage on this, looks like uh, scrutiny has uh, picked up again uh, with the uh, mattress scandal. 
Final story here. It's been rainy in Korea, but uh, the situation is much more dire in China. Two months of heavy rain in central and southern China, raising concerns once again over the Three Gorges Dam in Hebei province. That's right. The Three Gorges Dam, it's the largest artificial dam and the largest hydroelectric facility in the world. And the water level in this giant dam has surpassed the flood limit level and is just 10 meters away from full capacity. This has raised anxiety among Chinese citizens, but Chinese authorities have been quick to quell such worries, essentially saying that everything's under control and that the dam will not collapse. Meanwhile, China's state-run Xinhua News Agency reported that more than 45 million people have been affected since the flood season began in June, and direct economic damage is estimated to be around $23 billion. As has been noted before, when we're talking about Hubei province, we're also talking about the initial uh, epicenter of the uh, coronavirus outbreak there. So for the citizens there who have been cooped up for months uh, in terms of quarantines and all the efforts to combat the pandemic, uh, obviously uh, that uh, very cliched uh, idiom, when it rains, it pours, kind of is uh, <laughs> yeah. applicable there. Yeah. All right, uh, Mi Sorang, as always, thank you very much, and we hope you have a great weekend. Thank you for having me.